Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Are y'all ready for Labels Part 4? All right, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of John, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is, that's funny, John 4, and we're in part 4. Part 4 of our label series, that's pretty cool. John chapter 4, and we're going to start, this is crazy, we're going to start reading verse 4. Wow, I never put all that together to right here. That's pretty cool. Now this is talking about Jesus, and it says, verse 4 in the NIV, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came up to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And then it says here in parentheses, it says his disciples had gone to Chick-fil-A. Verse 9, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what kind of water? Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. You think? (laughs) Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, there's a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks." God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Now I want you to go to John 4, one page over to verse 39 of this same chapter. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did is what this woman was telling everyone. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because his words, many more became believers. And the media team doesn't have this. It's not their fault. It's mine. But look at verse 42. They said to they said to uh, the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. So we were believing just on the fact of what you said, but now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. If you and I are going to fulfill God's plan for our life, we have to have the right label. We have to have the right label. Today I want to preach about the label of failure. Everybody shout out Failure. I don't just think today's message is good. I think today's message is important. I think it's very important. Write this down. I'm going to hit you with some truth right in the first few minutes of this message, and this may be one of the most profound nuggets that you will get today. So go ahead and write it down. Are you ready? Failure is not an event, or failure, excuse me, is an event. Failure is not an outfit. Let me say that again. Failure is an event. It isn't an outfit. Failure is not something that you put on. Something happened to you, but that is not who you are. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Some of you are contemplating that and you're writing it down. Let's say it again. Failure is not an event. Or it isn't. I keep saying that wrong. Failure is an an event. It It isn't an outfit. Something happened, but that's not who you are. Today is a hard task because the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to move on from your past. Because we're constantly bringing failure into new jobs, new relationships, new churches, new whatever. And I want us to do two things today. Number one, I want us to to get a proper measuring stick. And the second thing I want to do is I want to look at this lady in the Bible in John chapter 4. I want us to look a little deeper here in a few moments at her life because she was deemed a failure and she had an encounter with Jesus and she got a new label because of that. So the first part, let's define who is winning and who's losing. Let's define failure and winning. People say they don't want to experience embarrassment and shame with a certain group of people they want to impress. The problem is every circle you want to impress has a different measuring stick of what success is and what is failure, and it's always changing. So failure and success depends on who you're with, what circle you're in. In the last days that we're living in, the world literally wants you to do a song and dance to impress them. In fact, we have a platform for that. It's called TikTok. It's called social media. It's called followers. It's called likes. It's called impress me. Do something that impresses me. Do something that makes me love it. Do something that makes me like it. It can also be money. It can be boats. It can be houses. It can be education. It can be academics. It can be married, not married. It can be work. Uh... The ladder that you're climbing, whatever that ladder is, I've got a message about that I'm going to preach here in the future, but it can be a lot of different things that you're trying to achieve which determines in your mind what success is. 
And it depends on the circle that you're hanging out with or the circle that you're running with. But I've got a question for you and for your circle. Is God in the center of your circle? Is God in the center of your circle? You say, well, we've got Christians in our circle. Maybe you do have some Christians in your circle. Or maybe you have all Christians in your circle. But it could be what's in the center of your circle is politics. It could be what's in the center of your circle is sports. What could be in the center of your circle is school or a job or or whatever it may be. See, what could be happening is what you have in common, but what you have in the center of the circle is not God. Amen? Why should God be in the center of our circle? Because if He's in the center, then He determines the measurement for success. Then no longer is my circle defining success. Now God is defining success in my life. So my success is measured by what God says, not by what other people say. So God becomes the measuring stick of success. Not the world, not culture, not my friends, not my family. God is the source of my success. Amen. Let me tell you this. You ought to write it down if you're taking notes. What impresses us does not necessarily impress God. What impresses us does not necessarily impress God. There's a man in the Bible, his name is the rich young ruler, and he had an encounter with Jesus. Now the rich young ruler in our day, in our culture, he would have really impressed this generation. He would have been a social media sensation. He was wealthy. He was young. He was powerful. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was probably good looking. He would have been eligible for the TV show The Bachelor. I mean, this guy had it all. He he was wealthy. He was young. He was good looking. He was powerful. And here's the one that gets this generation every time. He was a little religious. Now, Now, you can't be too religious as long as you're a little religious. Right? So this guy had everything going for him. Basically, Jesus was like, I'm not impressed at all. So watch this. What the world says was successful. Jesus was like, I'm not impressed by that at all. I wonder how many things today impress us that doesn't impress God. You ever thought about that? All the things we ooh and all over, does Does God really get impressed by that stuff? I I really don't think so. Basically, Jesus was like, I'm not impressed that you made six figures last year or you made seven figures. Jesus was like, I'll be more or would be impressed with you, period, if you gave six or seven figures to the kingdom. That would impress me. And this man was like, well, if I gave six or seven figures, I wouldn't be rich anymore. And Jesus was like, you're the guy that asked me what it would take to follow me. I didn't ask you. Do y'all see this? So what impresses us doesn't necessarily impress God. Well, here's a question. What impresses God? I found it. It's in the Bible. Hebrews 11.6. Let's put it up there. This is what impresses God, if we can. What does this say? And without 
faith, it is impossible to please, or we could use the word impress God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Look at that again. Without faith, it is impossible to impress God. If you want to impress God, you're going to impress him through your faith. Your faith will impress God. The people that please God in Scripture are the people that go, that makes absolutely no sense at all, but okay, I'm in, let's do it. That's faith. If you can conceive it in your mind and you can logically think about it, it's probably not faith. But when it logically makes absolutely no sense and when you have this big lump come up in your throat and your heart is pounding and you're like, what in the world am I doing? That's probably faith. Then you know, hey, I'm being moved in faith and God is asking you to step into that movement of faith because he's asking you to do something and when you step out by faith, then you impress God. Then God says, hey, I'm impressed with that. Faith is the whole premise of what we believe as Christians. And without it, listen, there's no purpose for us. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. That's how God is impressed. That's how we move forward is through our faith. And faith moves the heart of God. Faith impresses God. Can I hear an amen in this church today? No, Jesus, I need seven points on how to fix it. I need a list, Lord. Before I step out in faith, I need seven points. I need a list. We love lists. And Jesus was like, I gave you the Ten Commandments, and we see how that worked out for you. I gave you a list at first, and that didn't work. It is so much easier to believe in our work and what we do, how, what we control. Look at me, Jesus. I'm giving to the poor. Look at me, Jesus. I'm helping a nonprofit. And I believe in all that stuff. We just talked about that. We do that here. I love the poor. Jesus loves the poor. But we want everybody to see us on, on, on social media giving those groceries or giving those backpacks to underprivileged kids. And we say, man, that's faith. That's not faith. Faith is when you do something that your brain says, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'm fixing to pray in public? Oh my goodness, I'm fixing to read the Bible? Oh my goodness, I'm fixing to lead a group? Oh my goodness, I'm fixing to tell somebody at work about Jesus? Oh my goodness, I'm going to walk up to somebody in Walmart with all these people around and I'm going to pray for them? Are you serious? Then you're moving in faith. And God's like, I like that. So we got all these things that we think impresses God, and it doesn't impress God at all. I see people all the time walk away from their faith, all the time. They walk away from God and their faith over the stupidest of reasons. And then I see somebody that gets a stage four diagnosis, and they're still strong in their faith. And I go, that's success. Are y'all with me? I want us to look at another scripture in Matthew 7. Let's look at it. Let's throw it up here on the screens and let's read it together. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Next verse. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did, uh, we did all these things. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, this is Jesus, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Look at this word, I never knew you. In the Greek, this word knew means intimacy. Intimacy. The connotation here, if you study this word, is like a husband knows a wife. And I'm not talking about sexually. When my wife walks into a room, I can feel it. I could have my eyes closed and know she walked into the room. Why? Because I spend time with her. You could blindfold me and hand me her arm, preferably her left arm, that's the one I hold the most, and I could feel her arm and I could tell you this is her right here because I have spent time with that arm. Does that make sense? I hold it all the time. I've got it right here all the time. I know her. I know what she thinks. I know how she ticks. I know her fears. I know what keeps her up at night. And likewise, she does me as well. We know each other. That's the no right here. It's an intimacy no. I know you. That's what Jesus was saying. I didn't know you that way. I, I didn't know you. I, I know people who think that God is impressed. And, and I don't know if they know God is impressed. But I think they think other people are impressed by their knowledge of God. And there are people... Who know this, this verse right here shows us there are people who prophesy and do all kinds of things, and just because they have preacher or bishop or whatever title you want to put beside their name, it doesn't mean they know God. And I know people that will use these big prayers to impress people, and they'll pray things like, I beseech thee, therefore, O holy God. They don't even know what beseech means. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And God's like, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't have a relationship with you. Jesus was like, you're preaching, you're prophesying, you're doing miracles in his name, in my name. And he's like, but I don't know you. So to me, this is what I wrote down. Apparently you can work for God and not know God. Isn't it sad people have a 20, 30-year relationship or more with God and they don't know Him and He doesn't know them? You know, I think the word friend we throw around way too much in our society today. I know it's kind of cool, it's the hip thing to say and people say it and, you know, I'm kind of on this thing, brother. I say brother a lot, I don't mean to, it's just my brothers, I talk to my brothers in Christ a lot and I catch myself talking to somebody outside the church and I call them brother and they kind of look at me, you know, but it's just something I've kind of gotten used to and I realize we throw around the word friend all the time. But I think we throw around that word too loosely because I'm like, people call me friend sometimes and I'm like, I don't know you and you don't know me. Am I really your friend? Think about that. Our son, Justice, our youngest, he's almost 17 now, but when he was a little boy, he was the most social kid you'll ever meet in your life. I mean, he's not as much now, but boy, back then, he, he never met a stranger. And uh, back then, we had a fifth-wheel RV, and uh, we went on this kind of once-in-a-lifetime two-week excursion, and we went out to Colorado and New Mexico and went camping. And, and uh, so two weeks, a period of two weeks, we stopped at a lot of RV parks, and he had his, his bicycle and 
you know, we'd get there and be setting up, and he'd be on his bicycle, and he'd be gone before I could even get the camper leveled, you know, and get it ready to camp out. And he'd take off on his bicycle, and 10 minutes later, he'd come back, and he'd say, Daddy Jay, Mama, meet my new best friend. And I was like, son, you just met him 10 minutes ago. But it was his best friend. And I think we do that a lot in our society, in our culture. And there's different levels of friends. Now we even have a social media platform called Facebook where you have Facebook friends. But are they really friends? Are they friends? Probably three or four possibly, but you know, I don't know how many friends you have, but are they really friends? We have work friends. And really all we have in common is employment. But if you quit and get, or get fired or I quit and get fired, we're probably not going to be friends anymore. We have neighborhood friends. Oh, we're friends because we live in the same zip code. But if one of us move, bye. Are we really friends? Let me ask you, are you that way with God? Are you a friend with God? Does God really know you? Is there intimacy? Is there relationship there? Is there time spent with God? Does God know you? And do you know God? You know, sometimes people come in here to worship, and it's really just a performance that I'm trying to get God's attention, but I have no relationship with God whatsoever. Worship does not start on Sunday morning in a church service in a corporate setting. Worship starts at Monday morning when the babies are screaming and running fever and all hell is breaking loose at your house and you're still worshiping. Then you're worshiping. So worship on Sunday morning is a byproduct of everything that's been going on throughout the week because it's relationship. Everybody shout out relationship. I believe most people that walk away from their faith Really never get to know the real God. Because if you ever know the real God, here's what you're going to find about God. He's irresistible. And the more you know Him, the more you want to know Him. The measuring stick for success or failure is your faith. Do I need clothes to impress people? Do I need cars to impress people? Do I need to go viral to impress people? Because at the end of the day, when the smoke clears and the dust settles... And I walk through heaven's gates one day. I want to be known by him. I want him to say, there's Jason. I've been waiting to see you, son. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if I got up every week and I preached to hundreds of people in a, in a room and then many more through that camera? And I did all of this preaching and all this talking about Jesus and then I go to heaven and Jesus says, who's this guy? I don't know. He just worked for me, but I didn't really know him. We never really had a relationship. Listen, you don't want to be that person that just goes to church and has a good experience. No, you want to be the person who goes through all kinds of things. You go through all kinds of things in your life, and you're still in church singing and worshiping your guts out. That's success. Amen. Come on. Give him a hand. Lord, I want to be that kind of person. I believe sometimes we're asking all the wrong questions when we should be asking each other about our faith. 
Not are the fish biting. Here the white perch are biting down there. How many deer did you get this year? I think we're asking all the wrong questions. I think we should be asking, hey man, how's your faith doing? Hey ma'am, how's your faith doing? How are you doing in your faith? How are you doing in your relationship with the Lord? Do you know him? Does he know you? So I want to close today. Man, I feel the anointing right here. Boy, I feel him. I'm feeling so strong. I want to briefly go through this because I want to give an altar call, but I want to just look at this woman in John chapter 4 for just a moment, the woman at the well. If you know anything about the context of this passage and the culture of this day, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. If you think Republicans and Democrats don't like each other, you have not seen anything till you see Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. In this text, we have all kinds of drama. We have some racial drama. We've got some racist stuff going on. We have some political drama. We have some religious drama, and we have some sin drama. There's all kinds of drama in this text, but Jesus doesn't care because he sees a woman that feels like a failure and has a failure label. She's avoiding somebody or some people. And Jesus wasn't after water that day. Listen to me. If you think Jesus was after water, you're mistaken. Jesus wasn't after water this day. He was after her heart. This woman that had tried marriage five times and it didn't work. She was what is called a five-time failure. Being married to this guy didn't work, so maybe I should be married to another guy, and that didn't work, so maybe I should be married to this guy. And finally, she came to the conclusion, maybe I shouldn't just get married at all. I've tried that. That didn't work, so maybe I should just cohabit, and we should just live together and forget marriage altogether. She's like, I don't want to go to the well when all the other women go to the well, because in this culture, all the women went to the well at the very same time, but this woman went at an opposite time in the heat of the day when nobody else was at the well because she was hiding, because she felt like a failure. And so she goes to the well at this weird time because she didn't want to be seen, and maybe it was the fact that the man that she's sleeping with, who's not her husband, but he may be somebody else's husband. Maybe his wife will be there, and that would be super awkward. So she avoids going to the well with all the other ladies. And what I have found is when a person fails over and over, their self-worth decreases as well. And this lady had no self-worth. And when you feel like you have no self-worth and you feel like you're a failure then the enemy comes in and he starts playing mind games with you. And over and over you rehearse all these things and all these failures. And you say things like, this is what I deserve, this is all I deserve. And then what we do is we start saying things like, I messed up, so I'll just keep messing up. Can I tell you, I love you, but that's bad math. That's very bad math. It doesn't add up. Well, I, you know, I've already slept around, so I'll just keep sleeping around. I want to say something, a little side note. I have a real problem with some of our addiction recovery places today still labeling them addicts. Because you will live up to your name. So if I'm an addict, I'll just keep being an addict, and I'll just keep messing up. And that's, 
typically what happens. I want to tell you, when Jesus sets you free, you're free. When Jesus sets you free, he gives you a new label. Amen? I'm not an addict anymore. And I want to go back to this because I felt the Holy Spirit, so I want to repeat myself. But I want to say this. This is the mentality of what the enemy does when he labels you a failure. Is He says, you've already blown it. You've already messed up. Just keep messing up. And again, I want to say to you, your math is off. That is bad math. Stop it. Amen. When Jesus confronts her, she did what all of us do. She changed the subject. Man, I know how this is. I deal with this every day of my life. I'm dealing with it right now. You're not talking back to me, but your body language is. And when we're confronted with something that we don't like, you need to hear the message last week. When there's scar tissue that hasn't been stretched, and we've had hurt, and we've had pain, we run from it. And this woman changed the subject because she didn't want to talk about it. And when people change the subject, they get religious. I don't want to talk about that. But I'll tell you, I'm a Christian. I go to the first church of the self-righteous. I go to church. We take communion every week. I go to church. I'm religious. And that's what this woman did. She changed the subject because she didn't want to deal with what Jesus was asking Amen. Jesus was asking her, he was saying, aren't you tired of drinking Egypt's water? Remember the message last week? Aren't you tired of the world's water? Aren't you tired of your thirst never getting quenched by this world and you keep trying husbands and it doesn't work? You keep trying sin and it doesn't work. You keep drinking that drink and it doesn't work. You keep taking that drug and that smoke and it doesn't work. Aren't you tired of it? And he's like, if you'll drink from my well, you'll never thirst again. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in this room. Mm, hallelujah. She got religious. Jesus changed her life. I'm fast forwarding because, man, I feel the Lord and I want to give an altar call. But Jesus changed her life and her failure became a testimony. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Listen to me. A five-time failure. Five men. Five moving trucks backing into the driveway. Beep, beep, beep. Five decorated homes. This woman, by her society, was labeled a failure. And a failure had an encounter with Jesus. And he gave her a new name. Can I tell you today, Jesus wants to give you a new name. Worship team, come. Come on, quick, quick, quick. I need you up here. Worship team, come. Come on, we're going to go to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. This story of the woman at the well is probably the, the most famous story of Jesus in the Gospels. If it's not top five, it's top two for sure. If not number one, most quoted stories of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus changed her name. He changed her label from failure to evangelist. She changed the whole city, and the truth is she's still changing people 2,000 years later. In the year of 2023, one community church in the month of January, her story is still being told. So Jesus gave her a new label. He gave her a new start. I say to you today, quit editing your story making it look better because if I say my story the right way people will be impressed I don't want people to know what I've really done I don't want people to know how I've really messed up man I feel a prophetic unction in this place today I, I, I feel this in my spirit there's a couple things that are rolling over my spirit I feel like there's parents here today and your kids have messed up and because your kids have messed up, now you think you're a failure. But God wants you to know today, just because your kids messed up, that doesn't define you. Remember, you gave them to the Lord when you dedicated them to God. They're His. You're just borrowing them. But their failure is not on you. It's on them. And you're not a failure because your kids have failed. And I feel that. I don't know who that's for today, but I feel that. I also feel in this room today, there are people who've been divorced like I have. And you're carrying that label of divorce and shame. And you're carrying that around. And there's things that's happened to you. And you're carrying that label. And God today wants to change that label. God wants to take that label and that stigmatism off of you today. That's not who you are. Have you made mistakes? Have I made mistakes? Absolutely. But that's not who we are. Remember, failure is an event. It's not an outfit. It's not something I put on and I walk around in every day. I'm not a failure. And I want you to know you're not a failure. You're a human being that experiences a fallen world just like I do. And life happens. But that does not mean you're a failure. Amen? That does not mean you're a failure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Parents, listen to me. There's a parent in this room that you feel like a complete failure. And God is saying your son or your daughter did that, made that choice. You did not. And you're not a failure. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.